And we also know that more than once, Jesus Christ multiplied the fish and the loaves on the hillsides of Galilee. God is the master of multiplication. Everybody say multiplication. Luke chapter 9, verse number 12, we're going to read a portion of the story of one of these miracles of multiplication in the ministry of Jesus. This is the account when God, Jesus multiplied the food to feed 5,000 people. Verse 12. When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions. For we're in a desert place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we go buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. Then he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled. And 12 baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up. This is a story in Scripture when Jesus was teaching at one point. While he was teaching, there was a great multitude of people listening on this hillside. As 10 o'clock turned to 11, turned to 12, no break for lunch, continued teaching. The people were so captivated by the ministry of Jesus that they sat around 3, 4, approaching 5 o'clock. And the disciples realized, man, if we're as hungry as we are, the rest of this crowd has to be hungry too. And all the restaurants are getting ready to close. So what are we going to do? No place to buy food. Pizza Hut's fixing to close in Damascus. So we need to take care of things here. And so they said to Jesus, why don't you let them go? And Jesus said, why don't you feed them? They said, okay, uh, let's see what we got here. They went through the crowd and they came up with, oh, they got a, a, a bag from Jack in the Box. And it had some uh, hush puppies and some fish in it, if we modernized it, okay. And um, one of those little uh, SpongeBob SquarePants uh, action figures in there. Hey, this is all we got. There's 5,000 people here. I think we better let them go. And so what Jesus did, as we read here, is he commanded the disciples to sit the people down in groups of 50. And they sat them down. That had to be a big enough challenge right there. When he got them all sat down, he took the five loaves and the two fish. And the Bible says he blessed the food. He took the five loaves and two fish, verse 16. Looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. After Jesus blessed the food, he began breaking it in half and handing it to the disciples. Can you imagine someone like Peter? What was he thinking when he looked down at the half piece of bread and the little broken piece of fish that he had in his hand? He had handed Jesus the whole loaf and he got back only half the loaf. I wonder if he looked down at this little fragment and thought for a moment, uh, God, are you sure you're finished praying? I think you might ought to pray again here. But Jesus had blessed it and he said, go give it away. The miracle is, as I read this passage, is that the miracle began to happen in the hands of the disciples as they were giving it out. 
not just in the hands of Jesus, but in the hands of the disciples. As they went out handing out chunks of bread, as he would break it in half again and again and again, that same piece of bread that was put in the hands of the disciple was multiplied over and over and over again in the disciples' hand. And you know the outcome of the story. We read it here. That with each of the disciples duplicating this pattern that Peter was doing, the result was everybody there that day, out of five loaves and two fishes, left full. And there were twelve baskets full remaining. Twelve baskets full at the end. There was more leftovers than what they had to start with. Can you imagine that? What a miracle of multiplication. Not only was the whole crowd filled, but there was more left. Now, there's two quick principles I want you to get from this miracle of multiplication that we study from this story. Two important principles in this story about keys to multiplication in the kingdom of God. The first key to multiplication in the kingdom of God is this. Something must be blessed before it can multiply. It cannot multiply until it is blessed. And what many Christians fail to realize with finances is that before your money can miraculously multiply, it has to be blessed. In other words, we have to give to the Lord first. Now, as I said, if you weren't here last week, please get the CD, listen online, because you will discover the principle of first fruit. And we discovered last week that when we give the first of our increase in tithe, that the Lord blesses the rest of it. That first fruit that we give, in essence, what it does is it redeems the rest of the resources. So by giving God the first, the remaining 90% is blessed. If you remember, we studied in Romans chapter 11, verse 16. It says, if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. So by giving the first fruit, it brings blessing on the remainder. Amen? The blessing is in the remaining part. So the first fruit given to God, the tithe, the first tenth giving to God, enables the rest to be blessed. And I've met Christians before who have never seen their finances multiply. They've never seen it. Good people, but they've never seen it. And often the reason is, is because their money has not been blessed. They are not tithing, and as such, without the blessing, there is no multiplication. But when you give to the Lord first, and the Lord puts His blessing on it, then and only then does it have the ability to multiply, alright? The bread couldn't multiply until it was blessed. Our finances in whole cannot multiply unless it is blessed by giving the first fruits to God. Jesus is the one who receives our tithes. Everybody understand that. He's the one that has the power to bless it so it can multiply. So the first principle of multiplication is something will not multiply unless it has been blessed. The second principle is only that which is given away can multiply. What is kept does not multiply. In the example of Scripture, the disciples had the bread and the fish. It had been blessed, and so it had the potential to multiply. But if they had taken what had been blessed and just eaten it for themselves, it would have remained five loaves and two fishes. Is everybody with me here? 
Even though it was blessed, if they had just partaken of it, it would have remained. It would never have multiplied. They would have had a few bites of food each instead of full stomachs and 5,000 people and 12 baskets of leftovers. They had to give it away so that it could multiply. Everybody with me? Two simple principles. Got to be blessed first. Only what is given away can multiply. Another thing I've observed is the difference uh, that, that those who, who come and say to me, I've never seen my finances multiply. Sometimes there are those who are tithing, but they give little or nothing above or beyond the tithe. They don't realize that the only thing that can multiply is that which is given away. And you may say, well, isn't tithing giving away? Reality, when you look at the principle of tithing in Scripture, tithing is not giving. Tithing is returning. Once again, you'll have to listen to last week to understand that. So there's a difference between tithing and giving. Everybody still awake? Difference between tithing and giving. Tithing is simply returning to God that which He said belongs to Him. All the tithe is the Lord. We're returning it to Him. Giving our first fruits, our first 10% to the Lord via a local church is what causes what's left to be blessed. So it's blessed, but in order to multiply, it has to be given. So you can't give what really doesn't belong to you. When I return my tithe to the Lord, I'm not giving yet. The first fruits are the Lord. And we proved to you through Scripture last week that the first fruit belongs to the Lord. The rest is yours to keep or to give as you choose. And the remaining part that you give is what the Bible refers to as offerings. Everybody say offerings. Offerings. So the tithe is the 10%, the first fruits, the 10% that we return to the Lord. Anything that we choose to give beyond that has the power to multiply because we are at that point giving. Tithing isn't really giving. Tithing is returning to God what belongs to Him. It's bringing back to God what is already His. I wish somebody in this place believed me right now because it's what the Bible teaches. The second principle of multiplication is that finances that are given over and above the tithes, if they're shared, they have the ability to multiply. If you give it to the church, if you give it to missions, if you give it to someone in need, it's already been blessed because you gave the tithe. But anything you give to someone above and beyond that has the power to multiply. So this is the power of offerings. When I take care of my tithe, I remove the curse. The devourer is rebuked off of my finances. But when I give above my tithe, that's when the blessing starts because that's when the multiplication has the power to begin. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells the story of three stewards. One's entrusted with five talents. The other is, uh, uh, and, and, and over the passage of time, he brings those talents back to the Lord plus five more that he earned. The Lord said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The other one had two talents. He returned more than had been given. But the one that was given one talent returned to the Lord with what he had been given in the first place. He said, here is what is yours. He only returned what was already his. The Lord called him a slothful or lazy serpent. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that someone is that, that only gives tithes is slothful. But what I'm saying 
saying is that there's a principle in the faithful steward that teaches that we should give more to God than just the tithe because tithing is simply returning to Him what's already His. Now, if you're not currently tithing, that is the place to start. Take care of that first. Everybody with me? Tithing is where we remove the curse. Tithing is what brings... Blessing on the remainder of the 90% of our finances. Tithing is what causes God to rebuke the devourer and open up the windows of heaven for us. It's the foundation of our giving. But if you look at Malachi chapter 3, God mentions that there's more than tithe. He said tithe and offerings. Amen? So it's tithes and the offerings that remove the fullness of the curse. It's tithes and offerings that bring the blessing. It's tithes and offerings that rebuke the devourer. I'm convinced that God wants to bless and multiply our finances just as He blessed and multiplied the two fishes and the five loaves. I've internalized it. It's gotten a hold of me. It's getting a hold of me. Amen. It's ripping me apart with joy. I'm getting excited personally about what God is getting ready to do in my own life. Amen. The truth is that God can cause our finances to go further than we could ever cause them to go through our own cleverness, our own diligence, our own persistence. I know this is true because I've seen it in my own life over and over and over again. God wants your finances to be blessed. He wants your finances to be multiplied. It's very important to understand that you will never see the multiplication of your finances until you understand that we give to the Lord first that our finances can be blessed. And when we give over and above our first fruit or our tithe, that is the portion that can be multiplied, whether it's given to a church to a missionary, to a building project for the kingdom of God, or to someone in need. When you give above the tithe, that's where the power of multiplication comes in. Now, to understand this principle of multiplication, you've got to know about seed. So there's three different uses for money, three different ways that you can utilize money. The first one is need. The first use of money is need, when you have a need. And, and how many are thankful that when you're hungry, you can use money to buy food? When you have a need, when, when, you, when your clothes are threadbare, you can use money to purchase food. So the first use of money is need. The second use of money is greed. Uh-huh. Yeah, when I want just something to satisfy my greed. Let me give you an example of this. Let's say, and now need comes when, when you have a, a lack in your life and you just need enough to make it. Greed comes into effect when you begin to have abundance in your life. And here's the example I could give you. Let's say you owe $10,000 in credit card debt. Okay? And you've been praying for God to bless you. And all of a sudden there's abundance. You get $5,000 or $4,000. And immediately, instead of saying, praise God, I get to put that on my debt, you think, $4,000. You know how bad I've been needing that new Fill in the blank. Oh, thank you, Lord. Now I get to go buy my new fill in the blank. What is it? Drum set, speedboat, golf club set, whatever it is. That's greed because your money's gotten a hold of you. And, of course, the final use for money is seed. This is the powerful use because when you use money as seed, it has the power to multiply. 
So I want, we're going to re- look in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. The words that we're going to read are words that are directed to a group of people who were about to give a sacrificial offering. So the Apostle Paul writes to these people. Uh, and uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. In fact, if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn there because we'll be referring to this for the next few moments. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 6 through 10 we'll be looking at. And... Uh, I lost my place in the Bible, so I'll have to follow along there. Let's read verses 6 through 8. It says, Go ahead and advance that for me. But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. Now understand, he's speaking to a people that are about to give a sacrificial offering the church in Corinth, to a church uh, elsewhere that had a great need. He was sending them this word about the offering they were about to take. He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Just in case you don't understand what this is saying, it's saying very simply. Here's a principle. If you sow a little bit, you're going to reap a little bit. If you sow a lot... You're going to reap a lot. So you reap in proportion to your sowing. That's pretty simple, isn't it? It's like, Paul, why did you have to write that? We already know that. I mean, that's pretty much common sense. That if you sow a little bit, you reap a little bit. If you sow a lot, you'll reap a lot. But understand, he's talking to some people that are getting ready to give to a need. Verse 7, every man according as he purposeth in his heart. This is an important principle about giving. So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. So when it comes to giving beyond the 10% that is returned to the Lord, the Bible says, let every man purpose in his heart. It's between you and God. God speaks to your heart and you give, but you don't give grudgingly. Because if you want the blessing, you've got to give cheerfully. Amen? And verse number 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency. Everybody say all sufficiency. All sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. This is the basic Law of giving here. The first thing we read is he that soweth bountifully reaps bountifully. He that soweth sparingly reaps sparingly. Look at what the the book of Luke has to say about this same principle. It's repeated through the words of Jesus. Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you Again, whatever measure you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. So whatever measure that you use to give, that's the measure that's coming back to you. If you use a cup, 
then guess what? That's the measure that they're going to use to bring it back. If you use a bushel basket, then that's the same measure that it's coming back to you. Whatever measure that you use, that's the measure that it comes back. Same principle as if you sow a little, you reap a little. If you sow a lot, you reap a lot. So how many know the Bible is very clear on the idea that when you give, when you sow, it comes back. And it comes back into, in proportion to what you sow. Everybody say amen if you got the word. Hallelujah. So, let's uh, look at these verses here. I'll click to the next one, Sarah. It says that our motivation for giving is not that the money comes back, but this principle is to free us from the fear of giving and cause us to understand that there is rewards to giving. Now, notice it says here, let every man give as he purposeth in his heart. So, as I mentioned very clearly... In giving, only you can decide what is right. No one can decide for you. It's between you and God in giving. Now, the Bible already talks about tithing. That's settled. We're not talking about that. But giving, the part that you want to multiply, it's between you and God. And it should not be done under compulsion. The blessed life is an outgrowth of cheerful giving, not forced giving. Everybody understand that? The blessed life comes as an outgrowth of a cheerful giver. And if you want to be a cheerful giver, sometimes God has to do a work in your heart to become a cheerful giver. Can I get an amen? Because the natural state of the human being is to be a grudging giver. But when we get a heart transplant, like we talked on the first week, it allows us to give gratefully and unselfishly and generously and cheerfully. I want to be a cheerful giver. Amen? Hallelujah. And then the next verse says, when we give as a cheerful giver, that God is able to take care of us. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, always having all sufficiency in all things. It says when you're a generous giver, you're going to always have all sufficiency in all things. That means your needs, everybody say needs, your needs are going to be met. Everybody say God's able. God's able to meet my needs. God's able to give me all sufficiency. He can give me what I need. Amen? Amen. And whenever, whenever we're preparing to give a significant offering, it's not unusual to be attacked by fears of insufficiency. I'm not going to have sufficient if I give. And all of a sudden these questions come, will I have enough? What, what, what if my car breaks down? What if I lose my job? This fear of insufficiency comes into us when God speaks to us to give. But the Bible says God declares that He's able to, He is able to give you all sufficiency when you're generous. Amen? And the thing to remember when we talked about in the uh, breaking the spirit of mammon is that money is not our sufficiency in the first place. Amen? God is our sufficiency. If we trust in anything other than God, we're trusting in an idol. But we believe when God speaks to us that he's able to give us all sufficiency. Everybody say, he's working on me right now. God is working on me, changing the way that I think. Amen? Changing my heart. Hallelujah. says, always, 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 all sufficiency. Sufficiency means he's going to take care of my needs. Now, there is a difference between a need and a want. Everybody understand that? 
He's not promising he, us here that we're going to be uh, driving a, a brand new German sports car. But he's promising that he will take care of our needs. God doesn't promise to satisfy our every whim or our passing fancy. Amen. So there are tests. The need test is when we have to trust God for our sufficiency. But the greed test is, is when we move beyond sufficiency into abundance. Amen. But the highest use of money is not taking care of my need or appeasing my greed. But the highest use of finance is the use of money as a seed. Now, verse 6 again. Back to verse 6 it says, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. This is the language of sowing or the language of the seed. And I wonder, how do you see money? Do you see money as something to take care of your needs? Do you see money as something to appease your greed? Or do you see money as a powerful seed? Is anybody still with me? Have I lost everybody? Do you see money as a powerful seed? Because the way that you perceive money is the way that it's going to be used in your life. But when you see it as a seed, you can use it in a very powerful way. Now, here's the deal. I don't want to be poor and I don't want to be loaded down with riches. Look what it says in Proverbs. Uh, I think I'll have to read it for you. Proverbs uh, chapter uh, number 30, verse 8. No, I think it's up here. Proverbs 30 and 8. says, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. The wise man declares, I don't want to be extremely wealthy, and I don't want to be poor either. Because, But feed me with food convenient for me. Verse 9. Lest I be full and deny thee. If I get riches, I might deny you. When I mean, the Bible says it's difficult for a rich man to enter into the heaven. Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and still and take the name of my God in vain. So it's like the two things. God, I don't want to be struggling with need and I don't want to be struggling with greed either. But somewhere in the middle is this idea of seed that God, you'll take care of my needs. And I understand that what I have is a powerful seed. Amen. It's a seed for the kingdom of God. So are we committed to using our resources as seed. And I've told the story here before. It's getting warm in here. About the uh, sack of grain that the farmer had in his barn. Thank you, sister. Sorry. And, uh, you know, things were getting a little tough through the winter. And his son went out there and said, Dad, look at this bag of seed. This whole bag of seed right here. Man, we could make several loaves of bread if we'd grind this grain up into flour. Man, we could be enjoying pigging out as much as we want. Now, a lot of us, we don't even understand that concept because all of us have as much as we want. But, uh, you know, the farmers, it would get during the lean months. So the farmer has to make a choice. Do I take this bag of seed and do I grind it up and eat it up and hope that maybe... When the time for planting comes along, somebody will give me some seed. Or do I use wisdom and maybe use a little of it for food to sustain me, but save some of it for seed as well? I'm going to eat part of it, but I'm going to save some of it for seed as well. Make some bread out of it, uh, but also at the same time, leave the rest for seed. Because if I sow the seed, I will get a harvest. And the idea of the harvest is I will get much 
larger than what was originally sown. I want you to look at verse 10 in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 in your Bible, verse number 10. It says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This is, again, the story that's told to these people that are about to give to a need. He says, God will supply seed to who? Seed to who? The sower. He's giving seed to the sower, right? Seed to the sower. He's not giving seed to the eater, seed to the keeper, but he gives, supplies seed to the sower. Oh, my Lord, if you guys could get that principle right there. God supplies seed to the sower. He gives no promise that he will supply seed to the keeper or seed to the eater, but that he will supply seed to the sower. One that understands the power of the seed and the miracle of multiplication through the harvest, God says he is going to provide seeds to the sowers. Amen? And he wants us to take some of the seed and eat, but he wants to take us to take some of the seed and sow it as well. And he can supply our seed and also multiply it as well. It says in verse 10 that God's able to multiply the seed. Look at the end there. It says it will result in thanksgiving to God. But in verse 10, he will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. So this is not just talking about money. This is talking about spiritual things as well. Amen. Givers live more righteous lives than takers. You're no longer sowing into selfishness and greed. But when you sow good things, you tend to reap good things in return. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's clap our hands to the Lord if we believe the word of God. I hope I'm not too clumsy or boring today to cause you to miss this powerful principle from the Word of God that many of you have found to be true, that when God speaks to your heart to take of what you have and sow it into something. If that seed has been blessed by giving the first fruit to God and the remainder, you take some of that remainder and you say, I want to sow this into the kingdom of God, that there is a blessing. There is a multiplying potential that's there as well. Hallelujah. Here's three principles of sowing seed real quick. We'll get through this as quick as possible. The first principle of sowing seed is like begets like. Very simply, you reap what you sow. How many have heard that before? You reap what you sow. You reap, you sow good, you reap good. You sow bad, you reap bad. You, you sow forgiveness, you reap forgiveness. Paul is teaching that if you sow money into this need, you will reap money. Remember what the whole idea is about here. If you sow a gift into this, you will reap back. Now let's look at a foolish farmer here. Here's a picture of a foolish farmer. Okay. A foolish farmer is one who has planted wheat seeds. And he's standing out in his field. Where's the corn? See, you don't reap what you didn't sow. And so the first principle 
of multiplication through seed is you sow and then you reap what you sow. You don't expect to reap what you haven't sown. Now, we can make fun of this farmer there, but I've seen believers that are like this farmer because they expect the harvest of something they never planted. Financial growth is a byproduct of bountiful sowing. It's a principle. Whatever you sow, you will reap. See, you've got to have faith to believe this. You can't believe this if you're not, if you're not a person of faith. Amen? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Amen? Those that come to God must believe that He is and that He rewards them that diligently seek Him. You've got to believe in God. If you don't believe in God without faith, it's impossible to get this. Amen? The Bible says a carnal mind is enmity against God. If my brain is wrapped up in the way this world operates, it's in direct conflict with the Word of God and the principles of the Word of God. But if a spiritual thing happens and God begins to penetrate through my thick head and skull, and I begin to realize that there is power in this principle, there are testimonies of power in this principle that when I sow into the kingdom of God when I give it's coming back to me because the Bible says give and it will come back to you good measure pressed down shaken together and running over he's going to push all all of the empty air out of there and there's going to be blessing coming your direction so the first principle is like begets like don't expect to receive A harvest of financial reward if you haven't sown a seed in in accordance. The second principle seems almost too simple to mention, but it's an important principle. Number two is has to do with the right order. Things have to happen in order. You know, a horse before the carriage type deal. You don't have a horse walking around pushing the carriage around. The carriage is always behind the horse. That's the importance of order. Just like love, marriage, and a baby carriage. It's a purpose of order. Now, here, here's the right order. Is you reap after you sow. Ooh, that's powerful. So we've got our foolish, uh, uh, foolish farmer again who's out in the field standing there. Click it and we'll see our foolish farmer again. He's like standing out in the field looking for a harvest and he hasn't planted anything Yet. Now that seems pretty silly, doesn't it? It almost seems like crazy for us to even mention this principle that that uh, there's an order to this that you reap after you sow. He's standing in the field waiting for the crop to come when he's not planted a single seed. And he's thinking in his mind, once this crop come in, comes in, I'm going to do some serious sowing. Once I get this crop in, I'm going to be a big time sower. And I know we can laugh at this, but believers, we as believers sometimes do the very same thing. If God helps me close this business deal, I'm going to really start giving to the church. If I can get this new job, if I can get this new blessing, amen? But the reality is, it is the one who is faithful with little who receives much. If you can't learn to be faithful with little, then you don't receive much. You have to start with what you have, and you have to start with where you are. Don't be like that farmer saying, God, give me a harvest, and then I'll sow back into the kingdom. Give me a God says it works this way. You sow, and then comes the harvest. Praise God. Well, I don't have much to sow. Well, guess what? The miracle of multiplication is you sow a little bit, and it turns into a lot. But if you sow nothing, don't expect anything at all. Anybody with me? 
I've given the first fruit, my money's blessed. It has power to multiply. I got something powerful in my pocket. It's blessed money that has the power to multiply. It has the power to take one and become many. Throw a couple kernels in the ground. Instead of eating them, sow them. And it bursts forth as a stock of corn. Some stocks with multiple ears, each ear having 400 kernels. That's the principle of multiplication and sowing. And this is the principle that God is sharing with us. You know that God, uh, that Jesus spent 30% of his time talking about money? Talking about sowing the seed? Because it's a powerful principle that if we get, God can bless us through it. Amen? But you have to start with where you are. And the final one is really simple. And the final principle is the principle of multiplication. And that is you reap more than you sow. These are really easy, aren't aren't they? You reap what you sow, you reap after you sow, and you reap more than what you sow. This is the miracle of multiplication. In Psalms chapter 126 and verse 5, it says this. It says, uh, 126 and 5, He that goeth forth, or he that sows in tears, shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. If you're crying... When you sow your little bag of precious seed, your tears will turn into rejoicing at harvest time. Because you will reap more than what you sow. Amen? A couple kernels of corn will produce a stock with ears of corn and 400 kernels on each corn. You you reap more than what you sow. What a principle. Do you believe it? Clap your hands if you believe it. See, because while I'm preaching here, I'm having to fight against unbelief. So like I'm doing my best mixed martial arts business here on, on unbelief. Because some of you come in here and, and unbelief has your resistances up. And, you know, I don't know if I believe this. I don't know if I believe this. Uh, man, how many testimonies could we give you, even in this place, uh, of people that have learned this principle and God has blessed them in ways that don't even make sense? Right. Right, right, right. When we give tithes, the curse is removed. When we give above, beyond our tithes, it has the power to multiply. This is the beautiful, the beautiful part of offerings. Now I want to give you, in closing here, an example of an extravagant offering from Scripture. From the book of, uh, I believe it's in the book of Luke. I'm sorry, John chapter 12, verse 1. It says, then Jesus, six days before the Passover... Now, let me, let me make sure you caught this. Six days before the Passover. That means six days before he was crucified. Everybody with me? Six days before Jesus was crucified. Came to Bethany where Lazarus was and had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. This guy that got a miracle. There they made him a supper. And Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Everybody say, that's an offering. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Click it again. Then saith one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This, he said, not that he cared for the poor, 
but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone against the day of my burying hath she kept this for the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. This is an example of an extravagant offering, an extreme offering, an above and beyond offering, one that doesn't make sense. And in this passage, you have two hearts on display, the heart of Mary and the heart of Judas, a generous heart and a selfish heart. See, Judas pretended like he was concerned for the poor, but he was concerned for himself. He held the bag. He wanted to pill for some of that money that could have been brought in. He was selfish. And so uh, her heart was displayed by giving. His heart was displayed by his response. Here's a question. Why did she give so much? It says this ointment, 300 pence. In that day, a pence or a penny was a day's wages. A day's wage. 300 days wage. 300 days wage. That's a year's income. Everybody still with me now? A year's salary that she brought and gave to Jesus by breaking the box and pouring this precious ointment on his feet. Why did she give so much? Why such an extravagant, generous gift to the Lord? Why? An entire year's wages. Why did she give so much, number one? And number two, why did it bother Judas so much? Why did it bother Judas so much that she gave so much? And this is an important point I want you to get because this is a struggle that goes on in our hearts. Is wherever you find generosity, you will also find selfishness battling for control. Right here. Generosity in the person of Mary. Selfishness personified in Judas. Well, let's internalize that in our heart. And every time that there is generosity, you will also find selfishness battling for control. So the question is, am I generous or am I selfish? One of them has the upper hand in my life. What do your offerings say about your heart's level of gratitude and love for God? Because this is a lady who just a few weeks prior to that had laid her brother in a grave and said goodbye for the last time. But when Jesus came into town, she was weeping. But Jesus said, show him to me. Push back the stone. And he bellowed, Lazarus came for- come forth. And that brother that she had laid in the tomb... That beloved, precious brother came walking out in his grave clothes. This is a lady that was eternally grateful to Jesus Christ. And her gift was extravagant. Her gift was extravagant. Amen. God is the one who takes care of us. Selfishness tries to take the place of God. And a stronghold of selfishness can be established in our hearts. And we were born selfish, but it can establish itself more and more as we get older. But there's an attitude that goes with generosity. This offering of one year's salary, would that be an extravagant gift? What if I was to give a year's salary, a whole year's salary to buy perfume and pour it on someone's feet? I mean, think about that right now. Full year's salary poured on someone's feet. 
What gift could you give to God that would be extravagant? How much would you have to give to impress God? Would it be No amount that we can give can impress God, but we impress God with our giving. And the key is you've got to give yourself. And this is what the lady was doing when she poured out the oil on the feet of Jesus. This is what Mary was doing that day. The oil, the perfumed oil was just a symbol. It was a token that represented that all of her heart belong to the Lord. She gave herself to the Lord. This is something that a selfish heart like Judas could never understand and could never do. He couldn't fathom it because he hadn't given everything to the Lord. The Bible says where your treasure is there, your hearts will be also. There were many people in scripture that gave extravagant gifts. When David gave his gifts for the temple, they figured it up in modern funds. $21 billion the king would have given in gold and accessories and so forth for the temple. Solomon became king. He said, I want to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. His workers, Chamberlain, said, well, what do you want to offer? He said, I'd like to offer some bullocks. Okay. We could offer a few of them. How many? I want to do it big. Ten? No, that's not enough. No, he offered a thousand bullocks, a thousand bullocks to the Lord as he became king. And as he ended his sacrifice, God turned to Solomon and said, I want you to ask whatever you want. And that's when Solomon made the famous request. I want wisdom. God said, because you've asked correctly, I'm going to give you wealth, riches and wisdom. Abraham offered his son Isaac on the altar. So many Examples of extravagant gifts because the levels of giving in the Bible is first of all, of course, tithing. Secondly is offerings, but the third level is that extravagant offering or that painful offering where it's just not out of your excess, but it's God speaking to you and you give an extravagant offering. You know, one of the greatest offerings in Mark chapter 12 was the widow. The Bible says that right before he was crucified, Jesus is sitting in the church looking at the offerings that people are giving. Isn't that interesting? And people feel like the Lord doesn't care about offerings. One of the last things he does before he dies is the Bible says he sat in the treasury and beheld or watched how people cast money into the treasury. Many that were rich cast in much. But then the widow came. And what did she cast in? Two mites, which make a farthing. Just like a dime or a quarter. Popped it in there. And Jesus said she gave more than the rich people that put in from their abundance because she gave all she had, even all her living. It was an extravagant offering. It wasn't big. It wasn't impressive from our perspective. But to God, it was every bit as impressive as somebody like David given $21 billion. Because it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of, do I belong to God? Am I His? So these three levels of giving, tithes, offerings, extreme offerings. Most Christians, unfortunately, never get beyond the first. Many Christians do not. But almost every person that gets beyond the first gets to the second level of offerings because they begin to see God's blessings in their life. But God speaks to us at times and calls us to give extravagantly. Mary gave extravagantly. I don't even think she realized why she was giving it, but she felt prompted to do it. Jesus 
gave her the reason for the offering. He said, against the day of my burial, you have done this. <laughs> I just saw this. It's amazing, amazing, amazing. You know, it was common in their time that the body of someone who died was anointed before they went into the tomb. Jesus was crucified on a Friday night, laid in the tomb on Saturday. It's the Sabbath, no work to be done. And so we read in the Bible that the ladies came with a hundred pounds of spikenard to anoint the body of Jesus on Sunday morning. But when they got to the tomb, the body wasn't there. Uh. So the only person that got to anoint the body of Christ was Mary who was prompted to give an offering that didn't make sense to anyone around her. There's a purpose for it. She didn't understand it, but there's a purpose in it. She didn't give to receive, but she was rewarded. The Bible says anytime we talk about offerings, anytime that this lady's story is going to be told over and over and over again, her extravagant offering, her amazing gift. We don't give for rewards, but God always rewards. Amen? If you, if you give to God, you may or may not like this, but if you give to God, God's going to bless you. There is no power on earth that can stop it. It will happen. Now, what happens when God speaks to you about giving an extravagant gift? And I want you to uh, take these out because I want us to fill these out and I want us to offer these together prayerfully. We're going to pray in just a moment. But when God speaks to you, if you don't have one, the ushers uh, can walk up and down, down the aisles right now with those. And if you haven't received one, you can raise your hand and they'll make sure that you get one. Once again, if you're a guest with us, please don't feel, uh, uh, don't feel that there's any obligation at all. This is for the members of the body of Life Church. When God speaks at times and calls for us to give extravagantly, this is what usually happens. First of all, the first step is hearing. Now, here's the thing. Go ahead and click it to the next one. Hearing. Click it again. The first step is hearing. And uh, let me warn you, don't give an extravagant gift just out of your own thinking or planning. You need to hear from God. If you give something like this, you need to hear from the Lord. And God is always speaking. Can I get an amen? God is always speaking. It's usually not a loud or a booming voice. It's not an audible voice. But as the Bible says, Ezekiel is a still small voice, usually a very small impression that you could probably talk yourself out of if you wanted to. But the first step to giving extravagantly is hearing from God when God speaks to you. And the second step that happens is excitement. I mean, you get jazzed immediately. It's like, yeah, yeah, I heard from God. Ooh, God spoke to me. But then right then comes the next step, which is fear. It says, ooh, this is crazy. Uh, this doesn't make sense. This is really crazy. Did you know that almost everything in the Christian life seems crazy with the natural mind? <laughs> it does. But this is when God speaks to you. Excitement comes in, fear. And then number four, which is logic, kicks in. And, uh, and, and, and logic gives you a lot of reasons why you shouldn't do it. Why you shouldn't do what you heard God say. 
You begin to think of lots of alternative plans and programs. Now, logic's not bad, but here's the, here's the issue. What if logic says one thing and God says another? Who are you going to listen to? You've got to listen to God. And then step number five is doubt. Did God really speak to me? Was it my imagination? Was it the devil speaking to me to get me in a terrible trap? Well, let me just uh, go ahead and tip you on this one. The devil's probably not going to prompt you to give to the kingdom of God, all right? <laughs> so it's probably not the devil. And then the final step is a step of faith, I believe. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When God speaks to you and gives you faith. And God's spoken to my heart, I mentioned to you, that I had unexpected, well not unexpected, but something that I worked for that I didn't receive that was coming to me. And the, the, the Holy Spirit said, here you go, there's your offering. And then since then there's been other things that I've received and God said, there's part of your offering, there's part of your offering. And so, ask yourself this question, am I generous or is selfishness still the dominant force in my heart? How much of me does God have? Does he have all of me? Does he have my dreams, my desires, my possessions? God wants to do a work in my heart. He wants to make me generous. He wants to make me a generous person. Now, I want us to pray together because... The Bible says when we give, we've got to give cheerfully, not out of constraint because you've been manipulated or pressured. You, you need to give with a cheerful heart if you want it to multiply. So I want us to pray together. Some of you have already heard from God. Some of you want God to speak to you right now. Let's bow our heads together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you've given us vision here at Life Church to not remain where we are. And I thank you again, Jesus, that you've... Put this pressure on us, if you would. It, you've kind of put us in a position where we being forced to sacrifice and give. And I pray in the name of Jesus right now that you would speak to us, Lord God. Your word is very clear that there's power for multiplication with the blessed mammon that was once unrighteous that can be used to redeem Lord Jesus, I pray right now, God, that you would speak to our hearts. Let your will be done in this place, Lord. <laughs> I want you to know, Lord God, that I'm yours completely. Jesus, I want my life, Lord God, to be lived out as an expression of gratitude and appreciation and thanksgiving to you. Because, Jesus, I love you more than anything. I love you more than anybody, more than any person I've seen. I love you that I've never seen. My heart is yours, Lord God. You gave everything and you're all in. I want you to know today, Jesus, that I'm all in. Whatever you speak to my heart, if you speak nothing, then I do nothing. But God, whatever you speak to my heart today, I pray, Lord, let me be led of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 Why don't we stand together right now?
if we could get uh, ushers prepared to help us move back this because we're going to have a time of commitment here together because as I said when Mary brought the box of ointment and poured it on Jesus' feet it wasn't just a matter of finances and resource she was giving herself that day it was just a token and it was against the day of Jesus' burial right now we want to give our lives to the Lord again recommit ourselves to him if you're a guest with us today I, I don't expect and, would, and, and, and certainly want you to know that you can be committed to God and be a part of something great without being a part of this this is for our church family but if you're a guest with us you can come forward with us as well and we're going to pray a prayer of commitment together if you're a member of the body of Christ and God's spoken to you today some of you made commitments some time ago uh, two years ago you're reaffirming that commitment today. Some of you are making new commitments or different commitments. But as they begin to sing, I want us to gather up to the front. And I want you to bring this. And I want you to lay it at the feet of Jesus. And the way that we're going to do that or represent that is to put it in here. Say, Lord, I believe in what's happening. I want to be a part of the commitment. If you just lay it face down because this is between you and God. Just lay it face down in here. And then I want you to move somewhere up here in the front. And we're just going to worship the Lord together and give praise to Him and offer our lives again as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.
presence of the Lord. Why don't we just make our way up here? We're going to pray for a little bit together. Everybody just come forward at this time. Let's just pray together for a few moments before we leave. pray for us. Pray over this church body, not only about the building project, but about our commitments of our hearts to the Lord Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for your goodness, Lord God. Thank you for that presence, Lord, that we feel in this house, Lord. Hallelujah. I thank you for my brothers and sisters, Jesus. Oh, God, as your word has gone forth, Lord, the seed, Jesus, that we have, Lord God, that you have given us, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, for taking the curse off of it, Lord, as we give the first fruit, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing, Lord God, that you have placed on it. Oh, God, help us and teach us, Lord Jesus to give, Lord God, hallelujah. And as it is measured now, Lord, it comes back, Lord God. Oh, Lord, your word says, press down, shaken together, and running over, Lord. Help us to understand that, Lord Jesus, that concept, Lord. Give us faith, Lord Jesus, to trust your word, Lord. Not lean to our own understanding, Lord. But place it in your hands, Lord Jesus. Oh, God, that, that you've given us, Lord, and also our lives, Jesus. Let us be good stewards, Lord God. Let us be faithful, Lord, in living for you, God. Oh, Lord, as we walk into that new building, Jesus, we want us to be, Lord God, to be on fire, Lord Jesus. Oh, God, that we can reach, Lord, this city, Lord God. Oh, Lord God, and see the altars, Lord, filled with people, Lord, that are searching, Lord God. Oh, for you are great, Lord Jesus, hallelujah. And you are loving, Jesus, and you reach, Lord God. Let that spirit get a hold of me and us, Lord God. And let us so see, Lord God. Oh, Lord, let me good stewards, Lord Jesus. You're coming back, Lord, soon, Jesus. Oh, God, and we want those with us, Lord God, as we enter into glory, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, God, let us be a very powerful church, Lord God. Oh, Lord, not, people would, not that people would look upon us, Lord God, but they would look unto you, Jesus. Oh, God, knowing that the miracle worker is in the house, Lord. Oh, God, as we walk, Lord Jesus, be with us, Lord, in a mighty way, God. I pray, Jesus. Hallelujah. 
Oh, God, let this word get a hold of us and me, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, God, the secret and mighty things, Lord. Oh, God, things that have been promised. Oh, God, before, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Let it come to fruition, Jesus. Hallelujah. In your wonderful name, Lord, touch us, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. We love you, Lord.
ready for revival. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Next Sunday will be our first fruits offering for this pledge, the first part of fulfilling this final year. Some of you made pledges three years ago, and um, uh, you've already made your commitment. That's great. And uh, some have adjusted their commitment. Some kept it the same. But you know what? We're going to finish out strong. We're going to finish out strong for the glory of God and believe for God's blessings upon everything that we do as a church body. Amen. Be in prayer this week. Remember, we're here Wednesday night for Bible study. We're going to have a great time in the presence of the Lord. I just believe for a spirit of revival to take hold of this church. And then Brother uh, uh, Brother Diaz will be with us on Sunday. It's going to be a fantastic time in the presence of the Lord. Everybody said praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And uh, when we finish our top ten meeting on Sunday morning before we head out to get ready for church, gather together and brother Steele says at the end of our meeting everybody on three one two three top ten knows what's up so uh we'll try it again now that everybody knows on the count of three it's life church we're believing god for great things amen so everybody on the count of three one two three praise god amen let's leave rejoicing let's expect great things from god this week also i forgot to mention that this week is uh a week for choir practice. If you are interested in being in the choir or want to know about the choir, talk to Sister Brown or Sister Shauna. There will be practice here at Life Church at 730 on Thursday evening. God bless you. Dismissed in Jesus' name.